And we're live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, if this is your first time checking me out, you can go to hy.page slash V Radio. Uh, there you can find me on all of my various mediums, including Rumble, BitChute, etc. cetera. Uh, you can join us on Discord, Telegram, Facebook. Um, all that can be found at hy.page slash V Radio. Um, today, my guest is Jonathan Turner. Jonathan Turner is a sociologist who is sounding the alarm quite a long time ago about how sociology as a science was being co-opted by activism. Um, I took a serious interest in sociology even when I was younger. In fact, I remember one day when I was in middle school, um, I think the counselor thought I was depressed or something because I was sitting around and, um, you know, uh, at the lunch. So he asked to talk to me and he asked me what was bothering me. And I, I gave him this big in-depth analysis of the sociological breakdown of the school system. And he was like, where did you study sociology? I was like, what's sociology? Because I wasn't even aware at that time that there was a science about studying how groups interact. Um, since then, it's become, it's always been something that was important to me, although I never studied it formally. It's really important to understanding group dynamics because things become different when groups of people interact. And I discussed that quite a bit on my show um, in my Do You Think for Yourself series. So today, uh, welcome. Uh, what, should I call you Dr. Turner? No, 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 John. John, John, you know. John it is. All right, John. Yeah. Um, so I always ask my new guests, what was the precipice moment for you? What was the moment that made you go, okay, I, I can't just be a bystander anymore. I really need to kind of dive into this and try to do something about it like and i guess that's kind of what led to this paper that i'm showing here that is how i discovered you um you know was there a specific moment where you went okay i've had it i, I really need to come out about this topic of sociology being co-opted well there was there's not it wasn't a moment it was a, it was a long uh, um slow burn for a while and then it was also uh clearly the decks of my own uh previous self uh, as a young man, as an activist uh, in the civil rights movement in the South, uh, having found myself in jail a few times uh, for it, uh, I, I, I was raised uh, to be very liberal and uh, I've always felt very strongly about the very things that people feel strongly about today, uh, especially civil rights. Um, and uh, when I was a young man, I was willing to risk my life to, to help people. And uh, so I was always, the, the activist part I don't have any problem with. It's the activist uh, as uh, an intellectual and a scientist. That's, that's where the conflict always is. It's one thing to be an activist, and that's what most sociologists want to be today. Uh, and uh, it's a shame because uh, what's happened is that they're, they're, they're no longer doing intellectual work. And that's, and that's always the big rub. Uh, if you're going to do science, you have to be, when you're doing your science, as value neutral as you can be. And it's obviously impossible to be completely value free, but uh, you, you've got to make a real effort and be, try to be aware, very aware of your biases. Uh, and if you're going to be an activist, uh, well, you don't need a PhD to be an activist. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be teaching at a college. If you want to be an activist, be an activist. I was one, and I, I know and it's, it's a dangerous place. As I used to tell students in the in the late '60s and early '70s, as if you ever leave the campus here, be careful. The people out there who who want to get you, they've got guns. 
And 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 a week later, I like gave that talk on and speech uh, teaching day at UCR. A thousand people were there. Uh, the the massacre at Kent State occurred, and, and and it was just a good example of remember people of power have guns, and uh, and people who want power tend to try to use guns, especially in the United States. Uh, so when I began as a sociologist, I just like any other new, newly minted academic, I really didn't have any idea where I was going to go, what I was going to do. I wasn't even uh, clear of whether I wanted to be a researcher or just a teacher. Um, and at uh, that point in time, when I was 26 years old when I got my PhD, and I was still a very young man, and still very much involved in civil rights kinds of things, uh, my personal life. and. Uh, and, and, and I didn't see any conflict between that and my sociology. It seemed like sociology would help me be aware of the kinds of issues that I needed to be aware of. Uh, and I just went about, went about teaching my classes and whatnot. And one of the things I immediately learned is that it's, it's very easy to start letting your political biases come into your lectures. And, and students are interested in that. Uh, but I wasn't sure that was quite right. I, I should be trying to give them the best uh, sort of neutral knowledge I can about how this thing works and that works and this works. Uh, and then let them decide for themselves whether this is good or bad or it needs to be changed. Uh, uh, but I, I didn't have any real strong feelings about it. Uh, I, I got my PhD in 1968. And that's the sort of height of the 60s before the sort of violent part of it began. And, um, it, you know, I, I still didn't see the big problem. Uh, these issues were being debated all the time around the tables in the student unions. But it seemed to me the sociologists was being, sociologists were being generally pretty, pretty, pretty good at being value neutral and just doing sociology. Uh, but I, I soon learned uh, in my career within the first decade that I, I had to make an adjustment. And the adjustment became uh, this. Students were always asking me in my, uh, my early days, what, what were my politics? And I initially would tell them my politics, and then I realized that's a mistake. I don't want them to know my politics. My, they should, my, so I was teaching value neutral enough because it wasn't clear to them what my politics were. <clears throat> I was teaching courses that were very amenable to uh, student inquiry, sociology one, social problems, ethnic relations. I, I taught all the big lecture classes at UC Riverside because that's worked best for me because I had eight TAs to do all the work. All I had to do is stand up there and be articulate and maybe a little funny two times a week. And that was a good deal uh, and let, let the TAs do all the work. Uh, but the, the fact that they asked said they don't know, but I think they want to find out. And I just realized this is the 60s, this is now the 70s maybe now, uh, 60s, late 60s to the 70s. Uh, they will find out, and I, I realize I don't think I want them to know my politics, not because I'm embarrassed by them, but because I think it gets in the way of my communicating with them. And I realize in my lectures, there are a lot of very intelligent students asking sort of what I would consider right-wing questions or questions that a conservative Republican in those days uh, uh, might ask. They were, they were intelligent questions, and I would try my best to answer them. I could see if I were spewing my ideology, that student wouldn't even listen to me. Uh, and so I, I made that decision somewhere in the mid to late 70s to uh, uh, get rid of uh, 
the, any kind of value of sets or pushing of values uh, or ideologies in my classes. I wanted to be value neutral, uh, let students just get the facts uh, as they needed them and make up their own decisions about what their politics are going to be. And I think sociology will guide you the right way if you just have that knowledge. And if, I, I don't know if you can see these, these, these are some of my books on the back wall, it's actually 49 of, of my books. And uh, these ones way, uh, way down at the, at the right side, or I'm looking at the picture of me. Um, if you look at the titles of those books, uh, 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 I can't remember them all. You gotta turn around and read them. So what is uh, American Society, Problems of Structure, American right. Dilemma, Enduring Dilemmas in American Society, Inequality, Privilege, and Poverty in America, and uh, uh, books like that. So they really did have an ideological tinge to them. And I said, I, I can't write books, I don't, I'm not going to write books like that anymore. Uh, I'm going to try to write more value-neutral books. And so even when I did my, I did some, redid some of my social problems books because the publisher wanted it, I, I switched and made it very value neutral as much as I could. Uh, and just tried to give them the facts of, of, the, of the issues that were being uh, presented in a given chapter. And that began my, my, that was my transformation. It wasn't a big moment, it was sort of a several year transition. Uh, it initially came to me, to me in my teaching that I, I couldn't, write books with those titles and be considered value neutral. And I couldn't use those books in my classes because uh, they weren't value neutral. Uh, so uh, later on when I wrote a, a book, much later on in my career, I wrote a book called American Ethnicity, uh, The Consequences of Discrimination. It was a very value neutral book driven by a theory, by a general theory of ethnic tensions and relations. And uh, it was a much better book, and it actually sold quite well. It went through eight editions, and it's, I, it just stopped because I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I got other things to do with the last years of my life and re rewrite textbooks. So I think uh, that um, so, just to, I guess, to kind of bring bring back to focus this, Tavares, um, everything that you just said is absolutely relevant to what the problem is, is that you're you're pointing out that we're allowed to have our own personal opinions about things, but the opinions are not relevant to the science. And I think that that's where the problems lie is that <clears throat> um, people are allowing their personal bias, you know, bias to become part of it. And maybe it's easier to get away with that. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> you know, if you're just writing opinion pieces, but it's a problem when, your opinion becomes part of your scientific process um, because at that point you've ceased to be science. You wanted to go ahead and comment on that. Right. Yeah, well, that, that's right. And, and I, that, that period of time, my per, first part of my career, I was transitioning from studying uh, societies in, in a broader sense uh, and uh, interested in social problems and social movements of the time. Uh, but then I realized you, you can't be a member of the social movement and, and, and have that be your sociology. Uh, that's your personal life. That's your politics. And in fact, the, the students would say, and they asked me my politics, and I said, I won't tell you. And, and, and I said, I, do you, you see a bias in me? Says, no, we don't know what you are. And that's good. That's exactly my point. It's, and that was... 
Right. And that, that used to just be kind of understood that that's how you do it because we're supposed to be molding young minds to be, you know, kids that can make their own decisions about things, you know, that, that yeah. we're supposed to just be teaching them how to become informed. And <clears throat> instead, you know, we're, we're turning our ideology into the education itself, you know, we're, and we're telling kids essentially almost like that there's a wrong thing. Like, you know, um, I actually got my hands on a, it was a video that was leaked of a kind of a teach-in thing where they're teaching professors how to push the, the woke stuff into their curriculums and in such a way also to teach them how to silence students who didn't agree. Like, you know, and if they asked questions that are inappropriate, what strategies that they should use to pressure these students to not even, you know, ever dare to contradict what was being said. And that's supposed to be like the opposite of what college is about. <clears throat> it is the opposite of what college should be about. And um, that's what bothered me. And I, I had a number of colleagues and I had a little of those colleagues for 40 years. I fought them the whole way and, uh, and, and on this issue. And, uh, and it, but it got, but it became more and more of an issue within the department in terms of recruiting new faculty and things like that. And uh, over the course of my career, and it became, uh, from, uh, to me, a, a minor nuisance problem that I could handle by just changing my behavior. But it became uh, a problem in a sort of departmental, departmental po politics. What's their next faculty hire? Uh, what's going to be their field? Uh, what's going to be their orientation? So the, the department was constantly split. It was always the scientists would always win, but sort of barely without a big. It would always be a big fight and a lot of uh, bruised feelings, uh, and that got to be very tiring over the years. Uh, and I hung in there for a long time on it. And finally, I just said, uh, "At seventy-three years old, and I, I, uh, you know, I, I never planned to retire." I, I still work today, every day, four or five to eight hours every day because I enjoy it. And I write a book this year and a bunch of articles a year. And I'm just doing everything I always did. Uh, but I'm retired. I, I kind of wish I'd known how nice retirement is because it was all that crap in the department that I didn't have to deal with it anymore. And I was very happy in it. And eventually my department's are in the receivership now. It's not even allowed to allow graduate students. The polarization between the science and non-science people got so bad that, that the, the department's sort of been put in a receivership. Uh, in, and I don't, I don't know if it'll ever come out. Well, something that you said, like, before we got on the air was you just, you pointed out that we had discovered so much important information, critical information for understanding how humans interact with one another, that sociology had hit, like, its peak of its relevance and how powerful it would be to help society. And then this starts... And now you, you have concerns that sociology as a science itself is just going to kind of crumble. I mean, that do you want to expand upon that a little bit? I mean, like, where were we at when we were at that golden peak? And then how does it well, compare that, to where we are now? The, 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 gold, the, the golden peak in, in sociology has been the last 50 years. Uh, if, 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 as a general theorist and a person who's always writing about a lot of different things I, I, from, from the biology and the neurology of human behavior to the, the dynamics of the world system and everything in between I've written about because that's what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a specialist. I'm just the exact opposite of the specialist. That puts me on a, a career path that's very different than most pe people's career path because most people specialize, stay in a narrow area, 
and just do their work. I, I get bored doing that, so I, I'm always moving around to talk about different areas. But the, uh, the problem now is uh, we, we, are, we are now, uh, we've, we've had this golden age and we're basically throwing it away because the new students are not reading any, anything except uh, things they want to read. And, and sadly, uh, graduate students are studying themselves these days. Now we had these big social movements occurring during the 60s, the civil rights, which had been going for a long time, but it peaked in the 1960s and you had the civil rights acts. Uh, then of course came uh, feminism, uh, and uh, and then various, various uh, you get the number of initials you have in, a, in, a, in a, the list of initials keeps growing. But everything about sexual sexuality is 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 uh, a, a hot topic, right? And and so uh, so the, the, these students, those people who were interested in those things like a lot of sociology majors, as I was that back in the 60s, uh, interesting to them. They, they were interested in the, if you're a woman, you certainly be interested in the fact that you're being discriminated against in always subtle and obvious ways. And, and so you, you can see how that happened. If you're, if you're an African-American discriminated against, you're, surely you're going to be interested in that because it affects everything about your life and so on and so forth. But so you have these social movements going through the society during the 60s and 70s, uh, all those young people recruited uh, to those movements, and I was one of the ones who was recruited to the civil rights movement. I wasn't involved in the others, uh, but they, uh, they some portion of them became sociologists, and, and so they they basically want to study themselves. If you're, uh, if you're gay or lesbian, you want to study that. If you're black, you want to study black studies. If you're Latino, you want to study that. If you want, uh, and, and if you're whatever it is that you're interested in, in the political movement, that's what you study, and, and that's you. You're, so you're studying yourself, and when you're lecturing, you're talking about yourself and your, your priorities in life and what's important to you. But you're no longer talking about sociology as a broader field. It's a huge field. It studies everything from interpersonal behavior and the biology of that, all the way to the world system. If we had uh, contact with other planets, would be intergalactic systems we'd study. We study everything in between them. No, no social science does that. They're all over-specialized compared to what sociology has been. And what's happening now to sociology is that uh, people are, are retreating to the narrow specialties just to get away from the the, uh, the sort of movement that you can't get away from in a sociology department anymore. Uh, but they're trying just by just hiding in their narrow specialty and just to avoid the kinds of conflicts that go on all day to day. Every day there is conflict in a sociology department. And every day uh, the students become more and more oriented to uh, sort of Sometimes it's derisively I call them politically correct issues, but they're not. They shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't say that because they they are issues that are very important. People's civil rights are pretty darn important. That's certainly one of the highest priorities I have in my life to make sure that I further that in some way. Uh, but it's that's that they, they, that's the concern in itself. They that was no actually. Interest, no uh, go ahead and finish what you were going to say there. I'm sorry. Oh, say, go ahead and finish what you were going to say, and then I'm going to say something. <laughs> so, uh, it, 
I would like to see a black sociological theorist. There have been a few, one, two, one or two, quite good. Uh, uh, but but that's not what an African Americans are interested in. They're interested in themselves, and I understand that they've been viciously discriminated against for all these years. Women, certainly, my God, they've been discriminated against, uh, and that's all. Uh, uh, and if that is your your passion, your your, your goal of life, and somehow make that better. Uh, there's plenty of social movements you can join on that. On that, on that. If your goal in life is to communicate knowledge that uh, discipline has accumulated over a 200-year period, and especially over the last 50 years, uh, you've got to put those other issues aside and, and just talk about uh, the sociology of any issue interests you, like ethnic relations, that's fine, of, of, of sexuality, that's fine. But there's a zillion other things going on in the world. The world is not just made up of ethnicity and sexuality and gender issues. It's it's made up of institutional systems and, and, and stratification systems and all kinds of uh, other processes that sociologists study. And those are just being ignored. You go to an ASA meeting these days, half the sessions are on social justice issues. And <clears throat> the research is very mediocre because it, we, we, we know this. Sociology has studied this for a hundred years uh, intensely, and we, we know we know the dynamics of this process. There's, there's not much more new we can learn about it. Uh, you can describe it historically and describe particular cases and stuff, and that's what people are doing. And so these these, these sessions full of uh, ethnic uh, and gender issues and sexuality issues uh, dominate the program now. It's not that these are unimportant issues, but they shouldn't be the dominant uh, focus of the discipline. But I'm afraid that's the case, and, right. I, and I'm, all, I'm also convinced it's not it's not stoppable. It's it's uh, when I wrote a book with uh, Steve Turner, no relation, uh, uh, many years ago. I think it, I think it was published in the late '80s, early '90s, and it's called The Impossible Science. And it's, and it was. And the subtitle says what it was, an institutional history of sociology, especially in the United States. My co-author believed that sociology couldn't be a science. And he and I are writing a book together, it was kind of remarkable, because here I am, the biggest advocate for, for hard science sociology, and probably the biggest critic of hard science sociology, are both named Turner, and we wrote a book together. <laughs> Right. It didn't sell very many much, but it cited a lot. It's kind of remarkable how a book had only sold about you know a thousand copies. It gets cited all the time, but I don't I don't know if there are people reading it or or it's PDF all over the world. I don't it's know. It's probably PDF at this point. I wanted to comment a little bit on what you were saying earlier because it kind of it 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 lines up with a lot of different phases of my own activism, and it's interesting. Like you know, you pointed out like you know you were you know a civil rights advocate in. Um, so you came at this from that direction and you recognize that all those things are important. And I mean, it would, it would sound then that, you know, you're kind of a left-leaning person. I'm a left-leaning person, but it's like, uh, one of the things I noticed. So for example, when Occupy Wall Street happened, <clears throat> it was originally like the whole idea was like, we were the unified 99% against the 1% that was supposed to be like, you know, the super, super wealthy and the environment there at that time had a feeling that was similar to the civil rights movement in a lot of ways. We were strictly nonviolent. 
Um, but everybody, there was, it was all colorblind, gender neutral. We were all unified under one banner, like one tribe. And then the social justice stuff shows up. And then all of a sudden that's everything. And it has this divi this division effect where all of a sudden now we're bickering over, well, you know, have enough people of the right color spoken at this meeting? You know, is this person the wrong color or the wrong gender or are they privileged or? And the thing is, is it's like a sociological bomb that went off in Occupy and then divided it and turned it into bickering factions that are all fighting over which one of them is more important. And then um, worse than that, it became about, well, where you fit on the oppression scale determines your place in the new hierarchy. Like instead of just trying to make us all equal, it became about, well, if I'm black and trans and gay, then my point is more valid than yours just by virtue of where I place in the oppression scale. And if you're not as oppressed as I am, then you should just shut up and listen. And that was one of the reasons why it started to get out of control, because at that point, whether or not the person who fit higher on the oppression scale than you was rational or even making a valid point was secondary to you. If you happen to be, be for example, the worst of the worst, which is the straight white cis you know, male, then you should just sit there quietly and just not say anything because you, you're not allowed to do that. And the thing is, is that just like you, I agree. All of those things are important. You know, I considered myself, you know, um, supportive of feminist ideology at that time. I definitely considered myself supportive of any kind of, you know, um, civil rights activism so far as race, but it ends up just turning everybody against each other. And I think that was one of the things, I don't know if you ever watched it, I, I shared a video that I had done that was reporting on why this specific approach to doing things actually creates kind of like a tribalism like um, effect. Like one of the doctors in the paper when I that I cited said that it's like there's a button in your forehead and if you push it, then you're going to immediately become defensive and, you know, and, and it actually creates more bigotry. It creates more racism. It creates more, you know, negative interaction because at that point you start to feel like you're defending your group and instead of just being all part of the same group. And that was what, to me, I watched it just destroy Occupy. And I, that because I was at multiple camps, it was like I had a control and an experiment because at the Flint camp, for whatever reason, this never happened. So Flint was way more productive, way less strife, you know, much better cooperation. We had better living conditions. We had solar power. We had, you know, and it was because we weren't spending all this time bickering about which one of us was more oppressed. It was about, well, we're unified towards this one goal. Occupy was really about fighting classism. And the idea was, is that if we raise everybody's lifestyle up, everybody does better and yeah and yes that doesn't mean that racism is not important or sexism is not important but if you look at it as a grand whole you start to understand that a lot of those issues are just kind of symptoms of the greater problem of just the massive wealth inequality that can exist in our society but all of that was kind of thrown in the trash because these individual activist things needed to become more important. And you would watch them turn on each other 
like a bunch of witch hunters at an inquisition trying to determine which one of them was more pure. Now, I've said a lot there, so I wanted you to give you an opportunity <laughs> to comment on what well, I'm saying. Does that make sense to you? Well, I, I, I agree. Though. You know, I remember one of my colleagues saying, if you're not uh, on the vanguard of uh, fighting oppression, you're part of the problem. You know, that, that's that was typical kind of line. Um, and uh, I said, if you're, if you're doing that in your classroom, you're really a big problem because you're not teaching the students what they need to do. You know, you're paid to, catering to their uh, biases, and you're also uh, totally distorting your reading list uh, to focus on activism. Uh, you're, you're probably not doing very much structural analysis and cultural analysis of how things came about. Uh, and you need to do that if you're going to be a sociologist. You need to sh the whole point of sociology is to let students know to the extent to which uh, the social structure and culture of, of a society in all its various ways uh, affects their lives. And, uh, and so if you study inequality, if you have a, a course in inequality, the idea is to show how does inequality affect people's lives and how does the culture legitimating inequality uh, work against uh, for or against certain uh, categories of persons. And to me, when you just do the sociology, it contains the critique in itself without ever being having to be critiqued because it, it immediately becomes clear that something like the unequal distribution of resources at the level of say the United States does this is really quite unfair. Uh, it involves a considerable amount of discrimination, uh, and, and, uh, and, and it's very important. Sociology is very important in, in outlining the ways in which not having any money uh, works against you. Uh, you can't get it you, if you can't if you don't have any money when you're growing up. It's hard to get uh, because you have to be exceptionally lucky or exceptionally talented uh, to to be able to earn a lot of money to get the education or the kinds of skills you need to earn a lot of money. Uh, so athletes can do it, and people who are talented in singing and things like that can do it. Uh, but uh, the average person can't do it so easily because uh, the world's working against them. Right. And, and so that's the important message sociology has to say. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the little lectures that I did in social water for many years is I I, I drew a line across the board, and I said, uh, "This is the this is the line between being non-working middle class, and the further down you go, the less uh, the more poorer you are, and above is the more affluent you are." And let's take let's have two kids born uh, at, at the one end here, and let's take let's go through their lives now. And so I would spend an hour talking about. Uh, both, both kids go to school. Uh, does a middle class head, kid have an advantage over, 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 over a poor working class kid? Yes. The teacher's middle class, or probably mobile, that's even worse because then she really, uh, or he's middle class. What are they teaching? Oh, they're teaching a middle class uh, uh, curriculum. Well, that's okay because a middle class curriculum includes a lot of knowledge that you probably are going to need if you're going to be middle class or go higher. And, um, and so you just go through that whole thing, and, 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 and I take it to death. Uh, and uh, the person now below dies four or five years earlier, the person above that line. 
and that, that person below that line uh, maybe dies uh, a miserable life at home or in some kind of uh, hospice thing that's not very nice where the middle class person who probably allowed the virus of dignity. And, uh, and so I said the inequality starts at the very beginning. And, 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 I, and I said that child had sometimes children act as people act as if uh, being born in the middle class was one of their great accomplishments that they they were I said and I've used something like this you, you say you're the little baby in the stork being floated around trying to find a place to drop it to drop you and you could keep pointing out that's a working class neighborhood that's a ghetto no get me over here you know and put me there, drop me in that house and you don't have that choice you're born in that house that's where you are and it, right you know, that's, that's your fate and, and and just think about how it works for people going through that life cycle and how hard it is to move up that across that line and uh and you can easily fall down but you're going to have a sort of an, automatic uh, advantage uh, being born into a middle class household with resources to support you and keep you going and get you into some kind of college and get you a degree and maybe use well right and i think what was most important that i i found to be a problem and this actually kind of brings you back to like something that you said earlier um like these people become very uh lined up to very specific areas they only want to discuss sociology regarding race they only want to discuss sociology regarding gender or whatever and that there's this bigger picture that's so much more important um i i one of my friends i uh, was a guy named jock fresco in he studied social engineering and stuff like that hoping to try to help society with it but one of the things that he opposed was and I don't want to say oppose. It's more like he recognized that it could be counterproductive. He basically said that he wasn't into what he would call specific group grievance activism because what he found was, you know, and just like us, he's like, it's not that racism and all that is not important. It's that if you find, he says, basically what happens is, is you, you set out on your one group's issue thinking that you're going to make the world a better place. And then eventually over time, you start to get to a point where you're so devoted to that that it starts to become more important than literally anything else you're doing. And it ends up being, uh, you end up getting to a point where basically your concern for that one group becomes more important than your concern for how what you're doing may in any way um, cause problems for any other group. Instead of just having a unified idea of how do we make humanity as a whole better, you're only focused on one group. And unfortunately, as a consequence of that, in some cases, it literally leads to just like heading down a dark path and to just open bigotry against anybody who's not part of your group. You know, like I just had a, a little while ago, there was a professor named Brittany Cooper who has done TED Talks on the issues of like critical race theory and such. And she went on The Root, which is a Black Issues YouTube channel, to answer questions about critical race theory. And a lot of the stuff that she said was just flagrantly racist. It was, you know, basically that uh, she said stuff that in many cases was just fictional. This is where like what you're talking about regarding um, why like so much of the, the research is bad is so critical to understand is that she was saying things like people of color never engaged in imperialism or slavery before Caucasians showed up. Like that's just flagrantly wrong. And you can accomplish equality and you can better lives of people of color without making stuff up. And that, that's where we run into a problem. Like 
you, you mentioned earlier that the that so much of the research was so poorly done. Can you give us some examples of that? And obviously, if you want to respond to anything I just said, go ahead. Well, I, I don't want to give a specific na specific names because uh, that. But the, no, no, that's fine. Just describe yeah, them if overall. You, if you like just go down, kind of if you go, if you, if, if, you know, if, if anyone now, so just go down the list of last year's uh, meeting in Los Angeles of the American Sociological Association. Look at the look at the program, and look at the titles. And you'll see what I'm talking about, and um, and, and such a large proportion of, of a program now is devoted to that. And I, I, I jotted down oh for, some, for something I was writing, maybe it was in this in this, this, this uh, political relevant discipline article, uh, the titles of the presidential presidential address of ASA, uh, and. Uh, it's not a call back then, but the number would still be right. If we took, took the last 10 ASA presidential addresses and the theme is, is set by the person who's elected as president, they set the theme. Uh, eight of them have been blatantly about ethnicity and gender uh, and inequality. That's it. Uh, and that's all that person wants to talk about. And I think that's probably all that person knows. Uh, and that's the tragedy, is that uh, this kind of uh, hunkered down into uh, silos of, of people studying uh, race, gender, uh, sexuality, uh, ethnicity, uh, inequality, uh, that's all they learn, is that little bit of sociology. That, that, that's, how, that's about that much of sociology. I don't know if I can see my finger. Uh, oh, yeah, hands. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, and that, but sociology is a big wide field like that, and everyone's like that. So what we're really producing now is a bunch of ignoramuses. Uh, they really don't know much. Most PhD students now, when they get their PhD, don't know that much. They have been. They have. They have gone under the wing of someone who is uh, sort of oriented, oriented to a particular narrow line of inquiry, uh, very likely related to just broader justice issues. And uh, they've learned what that person takes and, and read certain things, but they haven't read very broadly. They haven't read outside of that field. And sociology has been reducing its general requirements for theory and methods and statistics and things that would make someone a competent sociologist uh, generally before they over-specialize, you know, specialize in a particular area. So, so those requirements have like been going away. So now the all you're you know. learning now go is ahead, go very ahead. narrow literature of, right. of, you know, hundreds instead of thousands of things, just a few hundred articles at most, or a few books. That may be all someone's read in graduate school. As long as they spouted the correct, politically correct thing the, the professor expected, they will do okay. And, and that's been that slowly occurring. And that somewhere over the fifty years, that was occurring. And I think it, I think it really began to occur at an accelerated rate in the nineteen eighties. Uh, and and so that's what's that's where we are now. That uh, there there's a general resistance by so students to learning things they don't want to learn. 
theory. I, I want to take a, a quick second uh, to interject just they, to kind they of never clarify. Want to learn those things. They never want to learn those things. Uh, but yep. uh, if you're going to be a sociologist, you have to know those things. But we have a lot of people who don't know those things. They know some wonderful cliches, and they're not inaccurate cliches or portrayals. Uh, they're, they're probably justified in many ways about a particular subpopulation of which they're a member. Uh, right. And that's all they're interested in, themselves and their fellow uh, sufferers and uh, victims of discrimination. Well, and, and then the, the, it's important to note that, that this would be like saying you're a mechanic, but the only thing you know how to fix is the starter. Like, or you only know how to fix, like, you know, you only know how to change oil. Like, sociology is supposed to be a science of all humans interacting with each other. And to only understand one piece of it, kind of, I mean, yeah, it's important to have like extra information maybe about one group or another, but if you don't have general sociological knowledge, it isn't going to work. It would be like saying I'm a psychologist, but the only thing I know about is schizophrenia. You, you can never get away with that. And it, it will cause all kinds of problems down the road. And that's actually kind of what Fresco is trying to point out. If you become so central focused on just your one group, you can't see the totality. You can't see well, the big picture. Well, that's the problem now. And, and now, of course, once you've got uh, uh, an apartment full of people over-specializing in one discipline, one sub-discipline, uh, they, they have voting power and they're able to perpetuate themselves. Uh, and then they also become quite threatened by someone who actually knows something uh, beyond the sort of little cliche of recycled articles and uh, phrases that uh, particular subfields use. Uh, and, and I get no sense that um, sociology, even in, in fact, in the areas where there's all this concentration of effort uh, on basically these, these gender, ethnicity, race, sexuality issues, I don't see a lot of new knowledge coming out. I mean, I, I do read those things, seeing, seeing anything new coming out, and I don't see anything that I already didn't know. Uh, and it's just a, it's a more descriptive thing about yet yeah, one more subpopulation or situation, uh, or it's just a general diatribe about racism, sexism, and whatnot. And, uh, so, the in some ways, the damage has already been done. Uh, uh, to sociology, but I think there's a larger damage being done to academia uh, because the administrations of, of campuses, administrators, deans and provosts and chancellors and presidents, uh, all caved in on these issues. They, they don't have any kind of backbone. Uh, and, and so they go along and, and, and sort of quivering and sh shivering uh, that uh, someone might call them a racist, and so, so they, 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 they allow a tremendous amount of inappropriate behavior on the part of people in these, this, these areas. I mean, I, I know this for a fact because I was in a department where we had uh, certain individuals constantly charging other individuals with uh, inappropriate behavior, never winning anything because there was never anything to, to, about it. But just, just playing games, academic games like that, so that if you if you challenge my ignorance and my my uh, 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 sole focus on this one issue, uh, and, and and ask do I know anything else, 
their response is to call you a racist, a sexist, or a something or other. Right. And, and, and a blasphemer. You know, that, gets, that gets a little tiring, uh, and, and uh, especially for me, when I look at all the people who are accusing me of this, they've never been off a college campus in their life, they've never risked their life for civil rights, and yet here they are preaching to sophomores uh, as if they were great heroes. They, they're, they're just sort of uh, goony academics who staggered through graduate school, got, got, uh, got uh, learned uh, the cliches they need to learn for to, to pass themselves off as an ex, quote expert close quote in something, uh, but it's not one of the. Uh, it, it, it's usually not a hard area like methods or stat or theory. It's almost always in this one area, uh, and, and so it's it, it's become an easy PhD to get. Uh, I, I would imagine this getting a job in sociology maybe getting harder, uh, but who knows? There must be enough classes, enough students who want to take sociology so that there's always a room. But the, the point is, departments are getting overloaded with people specializing in this one set of areas and underloaded in just about every other area in sociology. And, and if you try to bring someone else in other areas in, it's very hard to do. The deans aren't willing to do it because they're cowardly. Uh, they don't want to be called racist and sexist. And the presidents are standing as far away from that issue as they possibly can. And so what happens is you, you, you get people like people recruiting people, excuse my sneeze, um, people, with a very narrow interest and, and very narrow bands of knowledge, uh, recruiting similar people with the same interests and several narrow bands of knowledge. And then once they become collectively a group, uh, they can systematically uh, work to keep other people from ever getting into a department that might broaden the intellectual horizon of the department. That would be, only, that would be the fair thing to do for students, for God's sake. So but when you know. describe it like this, it just reminds me of like a church that's been divided up into denominations. And that's why I, I also use the example of like uh, blasphemy and heresy, because that's what you're being accused of if you don't like what they're saying. Um, and unfortunately, with an equal amount of scientific vigor to the, you know, to the inquisitions and the witch hunts, you know, um, which are all obviously based in religion and not in fact, that's where we come to a real problem, because you can silence anyone who dares oppose you. And if you suggest that, you know, you have science that they don't like, then they can claim that, you know, your science is, is racist or sexist, meaning literally the studies themselves. Like I run into that, for example, the only thing I've ever had my life threatened for and been doxxed over was doing a video discussing the actual biological science involved with whether or not trans athletes have advantages in sports. Like all I did was share what the studies were. And for that, they, you know, they targeted me. And I'm not asking you to take a position on that specific point because it's not relevant to sociology, but it's an example of what I mean where they really want it. It's like, okay, so that this is what Fresco is trying to warn about, which is that if you become more interested in your group and the benefit of your group than you are in actually seeking the truth, you're going to corrupt the entire process. You're actually not going to help anyone in the long run. It'll cause all kinds of problems for you and for the group you think you're trying to help if it doesn't cause you to become the very thing that you sought to oppose. That was one of the other things he was pointing out is that he's seen feminists go way down the rabbit hole to the point that they just outright hate men. It's not about 
raising women to equality. It's about, you know, putting men down. And then the same thing happens to people who become obsessed with only race or become obsessed with only this issue or that issue. Um, but to, coming back to the, the really critical point, um, we talk about the quality of it. It's also in, in psychology, for example. I assume you're familiar with the replication crisis that they did a study trying to replicate psychology studies to find and came to find out that they only like half of them would even actually uh, pass replication. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, I didn't read that. I don't know about study. It's not surprising. Uh, been, we need more of that, by the way. The replication studies, are, uh, there's not, you don't get a lot of credit for them. But they're very important because if you have a finding that you think is important and you can't replicate it, then it's, maybe it's not a finding and you better think, think about it. But not, that wouldn't happen because if a, find, if a finding fits a political bias, it's, 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 it's good and it's, it's sacred and it can't be ever refuted, basically, because that's what people believe. And you know whether you're a Marxist or a Maoist or a... Uh, a gender fanatic or a, uh, an advocate of certain uh, justices for certain categories of persons, uh, if, if you won't accept any data that says uh, what you're saying is maybe not quite right, uh, then, then it's, you don't reject it, you don't reject it with your data, you just reject it with epithets and, 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 and political flurries to try to uh, hurt people who would challenge your your hegemon, and, and that's what's happened in, in departments now. And, and I think a lot of faculty just shut up and just try to get along and just do their thing. But that's the worst mistake you could make because that just empowers people. And uh, but I watched it happen in my own department. Uh, as long as I was there, as the most senior and the longest term uh, faculty member. I knew everyone on campus. I, I had a certain capacity to stop things from getting out of hand. There was always tensions in the department. Uh, but when I finally realized I couldn't get the rest of the faculty who who were were still the majority uh, to stand up and say, you know, you can't let people just push you around like this. Right. Uh, you have and uh, they said, "Oh, we can work it out. We can work it out." Well, they worked it out to uh, to almost oblivion, and uh, essentially putting the department in receivership and not being allowed to take in any graduate students for two years. That's pretty much the death knell of a PhD program, uh, and, and and you know that that's a shame. And uh, there have been three presidents of the American Sociological Association who have been at UC Riverside at one time. Uh, it's it's a department's been very successful uh, but now it's in receivership and uh, there, there was some talk of trying to put it in two different departments I guess activist sociology and scientific sociology <laughs> right but, but the activists are resisting that because they know darn well what will happen most of the students will go to the scientific group most right. students hate a lot of these courses they consider a imposition on them uh, that they're forced to take uh, and, uh, and it's not a bad idea that they learn something about ethnicity. I think it's not a bad idea to force uh, that, that kind of requirement on, on uh, students so they get a, some exposure. Uh, uh, but I'd say in a sociology department uh, today, uh, the majority of students want to learn something that will be useful in a career. 
and, uh, and, and the, the activists are actually on the wrong side of student sentiment. It's just that students don't have any power to say anything, and, and the, 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 fa the faculty who's willing to expend all their energy politicizing around the department, as opposed to writing things and doing research, uh, they, they always have an advantage because they've got a limited time. Uh, and if you want to try to write and publish and uh, your time to, to fight those battles, it's very limited. Uh, and it gets in the way of, of, of your work. And so that's what everyone does. They retreat. So when they retreat, they lose because uh, they, they won't fight. When they fight, they outnumber. They outnumber. They can outvote. But uh, it, it just it was a... I watched it happen, and that was the reason I decided I am retiring. Now, I wish I'd known how much I'd enjoy retirement. I would have retired a decade earlier. <laughs> I, would have, right. I would have just continued doing what I'm doing now, which I'm having a wonderful time in life of writing and not having to worry about all the crap in the department and, and, and having to deal with all that stuff. Um, well, and, unfortunately, Ed, there the ramifications in the long run, which is why I think inevitably you're going to find yourself, like you said, you can write. So that's, you know, it's hard to shut something like this off. But like when I had um, Peter Bogosian on recently, we discussed like the replication crisis. And then I also brought you up to him. I'm hoping that he'll bring you on his show. And I'd love it if you could talk to Jordan Peterson. I think he would find what you're saying extremely important um, is that we use sociology and psychology to help us understand humans, you know, and, and reality and how we perceive reality. We pass laws based on psychology and sociology. We, we assign, like, for psychology, we assign people's therapeutic, like, prescriptions, essentially, you know, based upon what we are finding in these, in these studies. And if they're not replicable, and if they're completely, totally screwed up with people's opinions, and not with actual scientific, in, you know, vigor, then we, we we come into a real problem because that that's a ser that's a serious threat to all of humanity. If we get to a point, that's why, like you know, I mentioned earlier, if you care more about you know your cause than you do about telling the truth, you know that sounds all well and good in the short term, but in the long term, what are the consequences going to be? You know, it's like you know if you had a certain view on say a material science you know, and you tried to just use your opinion about it or had some kind of emotional attachment to what you wanted, like say in engineering, you know, well, let's say you have an emotional attachment to building a house in the shape of a pyramid. And then because you're so emotionally attached to it, you start creating fake papers, you know, that are just mostly opinion, doing shoddy research to prove your theory. Then people move into your house and then they get killed because the house collapses on itself because you used shoddy science. All of that is equally true in social sciences, especially like, I mean, this is one example I brought up to Peter Bogosian. I'm not asking you to take a stance on it, but it's an example, like when the spanking thing became an issue in child psychology, one of the main uh, papers that was getting passed around, come to find out that they took the, the data from kids who had just been paddled in the more traditional sense, and then they stuck it in the same data set as kids who were brutally beaten and then said, see, all spanking leads to the following detrimental outcomes. Like that's <laughs> something you could never get away with in a material science. Never. You know, and like yeah. so, but they had an emotional attachment to saying spanking is wrong. 
And it's like, so then go through the scientific vigor and come up with the real stuff. Don't just make things up or do things you intentionally know are bad faith because you have a certain outcome you want. You know, that's why I said it ends up becoming, it ends up just sounding like a bunch of people arguing over a religion. But anyway, go ahead and comment on that. Well, I think that's true. I think, I think right now, um, those uh, courses that are offered are very weak courses. They're heavily loaded with ideology and, and political viewpoints. Um, and they, they don't even do justice uh, to the subject matter. Uh, they, they, they ignore a good many of the theories that would actually explain things in favor of some more politically correct uh, kinds of theoretical images. Uh, I can't even say these things are coherent theories, but they're sort of images. And uh, so the, the result is, it's too late for sociology. Sociology uh, is not dead. Uh, it'll always exist, uh, even in its present form, because there are enough students who want to take the courses. But uh, the, the best example I have is, is uh, when I wrote the, uh, the Apostle Science with Steve Turner, uh, I think the, uh, the highest uh, uh, rate of membership of the American Sociological Association, I'm, I'm just guessing at the numbers here now, uh, was about 17,000 members. And uh, today, 10 years later, uh, sociology has about half that. So half the people who were professional sociologists who belonged to ASA have dropped out. Uh, I, uh, my wife, who is also a sociologist, uh, when we signed up again, uh, to join ASA, we almost didn't sign up, <laughs> but it was cheap. You know, it was only seventy-five dollars for retired people, so we did it. But there's going to come a time, and not too too distant future, where we won't sign up. It's not the meetings are not worth going to. Uh, here, I we, we were we were we were still uh, actively engaged sociologists. Uh, I'm writing probably as much as anyone else is, and as a full-time job. Uh, in sociology, uh, and, and I don't even want to go to the meetings. Uh, well, and, what uh, a sad state of affairs that is, that you're literally a guy who is in the trenches in the civil rights movement back when being an activist was something that actually was a serious threat to your life because they weren't treating people in the civil rights movement with the kid gloves that activists get treated with nowadays. You're a left-leaning guy. You care about people of color. You care about gay people. You care about women. You care about all of these issues. And now you can't even be involved, even though you still care about all of those things, because you also do care about the truth and the scientific vigor being followed so that we actually have credibility. Like, it, it, it really is, it's frightening to me when you say that sociology is like, essentially on its deathbed, because sociology has been so important for us to understand how things like the rise of the Third Reich happened, to understand how, you know, um, different, you know, social contagions have happened over the years, how groups of people can be manipulated by people with nefarious purposes. That's all sociology helping us understand those things. That's critical self-defense for our society as a whole. And if we, and then if we get to the point where psychology, and unfortunately I think it's probably headed there given the replication prices, 
becomes in a, such a sad state as what you're talking about with sociology, well, then we're going to have people just telling us, well, you don't agree with me, so therefore you are you are clinically insane. Like that that's the next direction. You know, like you well, talked I, about, go ahead. Psychology is better than often sociology. It's, it's, it has, uh, it, 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 well, one of the big problems with psychology is it over-specialized. But one of the things that's helping it survive this onslaught because there are all these silos of highly specialized work with research traditions and journals. And so people are able to function as psychologists. Uh, sociology uh, never over specializes much as psychology, but it's broader, it's a much broader field. Uh, psychologists in the end study behavior. Uh, sociologists study uh, behavior in all its aspects and, and uh, interaction in all its aspects and patterns of social organization in all its aspects. So it's a very broad field to begin with. But now it's becoming a very narrow field. Uh, and you've got all these sort of satellite things that are actually the majority, the, the vast, the vast majority of what is sociological is hardly being studied anymore, uh, and, 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 and because most most ac young academics are are into these various categories of uh, inequality that they're obsessed about. And, uh, and because they themselves have been victims of all times of this discrimination, they're quite passionate about it. And so it's very hard to reach them uh, on the argument I would make that expand your horizons, uh, try to be value neutral, learn as much as you can and communicate it as best you can to your, your fellow sociologists and to your students. Uh, and you don't, and the, you don't need to be a rabble rouser because the ideas themselves are revolutionary to young people. Uh, they, they haven't thought about them all very much because this sociology is not offered in high school. To, uh, what it is, it's not very good. Right. Uh, and um, so it, it's it's sad, and and uh, so that's why I, I think I mentioned earlier that I, I have trouble uh, knowing what to call myself because I don't want to call myself a sociologist because that's embarrassing to me. I'm embarrassed to be a sociologist. Not because of, I haven't done decent sociology. I'm embarrassed for, for the field, what it's become. Uh, it, it's become rather useless and, and harmful. And, and we're going to have to reinvent sociology under another name. And I prefer the name social physics, the original name for sociology. Um, but I, I literally don't call it. If someone asks me what I am, I, I generally say I'm a theoretical social scientist. I just don't want to be identified as sociologist to be your course here. What, because what sociologists have become is a very mediocre discipline. Uh, and it's going to be worse and worse and worse and worse. And some of the old specialties are staying in there because they're really well insulated. Things like social psychology and uh, sociology of culture and the, these sections that, that have good memberships. They got their own little world so they can, they can, they can withstand this, this kind of attack. But it's it's it. But in their departments, it's very hard to to overcome this onslaught of uh, shift in the interests of sociologists and what they're willing to tolerate, and the anti-science attitudes that have uh, come in, and then uh, activism for its own sake. It just uh, uh, somehow that is considered a noble 
academic profession to be an activist. That's, that's ridiculous. You want to be an activist, be an activist. Get out there and change the world. But, but beware, people are going to kill you. Want to kill you. You know, and I consider... They, they want to be safe in the, the ivory tower. Purely safe. You know, and, and, and trying to and, and engage in great conversion movements of soul sophomores. Uh, that's not a particularly noble thing. Uh, educating a sophomore doesn't know very much is a very important thing to be done. Uh, just just throwing a few things down a, a sophomore's throat and says, uh, spelt this and you're okay, you'll get an A. That's the worst thing that can happen to, to that sophomore. That sophomore will uh, not be a very, won't, won't get the benefit of a real sociological education. It's, it's sad. And I, I, I grieve over it. I've gotten mad over it. I've stopped over it. Uh, and and I, I'm sure I'm not alone as a sociologist. But what I feel, people I feel sorry for are young sociologists and mid-career sociologists who are scientists who are trying to find a way and a place to, to do their work. It's very hard. It's a hostile environment now. And so, uh, and, and uh, you know, they're, 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 they're late 30s. And they've still got 40 years to go. Oh, man. Uh, of intellectual work, maybe, and uh, and they have they have no no peace and quiet. They're just in a hostile environment. I, I feel that's what I feel so sad about the law. And then I see this the sadness about the loss of the knowledge. It's just gonna. The only thing that's saving the knowledge is uh, the internet makes us all immortal. Uh, I'm just amazed what the the, the things that uh, are. Are referenced that I've written, you know, from 50 years ago. Uh, someone in the world still finding those things and, and, and citing them. I can't believe it's, it, but 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 that's that's good because that means uh, it won't all be lost, but it's going to have to be rediscovered. We're going to have to have archaeologists of sociology going in in a hundred years and finding out what happened to sociology. And uh, all this knowledge was lost. Look at all the knowledge that was lost. We, here we are. We have it on the internet. We can see it's it. It's like there a it dark is. ages. It's like a dark ages. That that means like an archaeologist of sociology. Oh my goodness! This could be the, the, the restoration. You know, uh, it, it's very similar, uh, and it's very dangerous. Uh, it's harmful to academia in general. It's, it's terribly harmful for students because they, they become ignoramuses. They, they, they don't know anything. And they're full of uh, anger and uh, vigor uh, without any uh, real knowledge about the, uh, the complexity of the issues that they're mad about. Uh, well, and, and I think that you know, there's a couple of key things that I think are really important to point out. One of them I bring up all the time. I don't know if you're familiar with what happened to Brett Weinstein at Evergreen College, but he was subject to one of these you know, Inquisition witch hunts that are the reasons why so many of these professors you're talking about just are basically cowering in fear because they don't want this to happen to them. Um, but at one point, he was talking to one of the students who was basically caught up in this witch hunt, and the guy literally looked at him and said, you have to stop demanding that people use logic and reason and white forms of knowledge. Like they identified the scientific method as being part of white culture. So you're gonna tell the guy, well, you you don't believe you're racist, but we believe you are racist and you have to stop demanding that people use logic and reason. Now, this all plays into warnings, you know, and this is relevant because you and I both are left-leaning. 
George Orwell was just a flat out socialist and he wrote 1984 and he wrote Animal Farm as warnings to other left leaning people that if you're not careful, these kinds of things can take control. But one of the things he said in one of his own personal writings was that if you run into a situation where there are a group of people who want to eliminate the concept of objective truth, like you were talking about the anti-science people, for example, if you're trying to eliminate objective truth, then that's a sign that some kind of authoritarian something is trying to take control of your society. And whether or not that's true or not, it doesn't change the fact that the idea of eliminating objective truth and making it all about what we want to feel, like what we would really like to be true, and that that's more important than anything to the point that we're willing to do stuff. Like that's what that's why I brought on Peter Bogosian because he did the grievance studies affair I discussed with you earlier, that you can now just intentionally create fraudulent studies that suit the purposes of your ideology and what you want to believe to be true and that they will get published and then they will get cited. There was a perfect example of this <clears throat> in my local school district. They circulated this flyer and the, the flyer cited several studies, <clears throat> but it did so in a very selective way. The, the point of the flyer was to suggest to everyone that white children and apparently only white children are born racist. And it went along all these different studies to suggest that that was the case going all the way down to like when they were born, you know, like, you know, the first three months and it, it, it scales up from there. So I went and actually read the papers and there were several things that the people who were trying to make that point left out. One of them was, a lot of those studies that they were citing were literally only done on white children in the first place. So in other words, there was no basis of comparison. We didn't know if black children or Hispanic children or Asian children tended to prefer their own race at say three months old because the study was never done on anybody else. So instead they just dishonestly presented the information and said, well, it shows here that white children and only white children believe this. In another one of the studies that they cited, it also showed that kids preferred playmates who had the same accent as them, and that that was more important than the race of the child. So in other words, a white child may choose to play with a black child who had the same accent, as opposed to, say, another white child who had a British accent or a Southern accent. You know, but again, that information doesn't make it into the flyer because that doesn't work with what they're trying to do. So at that point, they're willing to cherry pick if they're not just outright being fraudulent in the first place to try to achieve their goal, which is to convince people in general that you need to allow us to show up in your school district and give these trainings. And if you don't agree with anything I'm about to say, then you have white fragility because that was another part of it is they, they, they did a book study, kind of a compulsory book study where they forced the entire faculty to read Robin DiAngelo's book. And then that preps you because then at that point you have the perfect gaslighting. You could just say, well, if you don't agree with anything we're saying, you need to be aware of your white fragility. And that could be the real reason why you don't agree with these things. Um, you know, so all of that stuff is an example of at this point, you're citing or claiming to cite scientific studies to affect a policy change and that sort of thing is going on well beyond just elementary schools and middle schools. It's making its way into lawmakers, 
you know, it's, you know, in, on, you know, in Congress and the Senate and, you know, it's making its way to the, out of the mouths of presidents, you know, and it, they, they trust scientists, they trust social scientists to be telling them the truth. They trust us to be following the scientific method to ensure that the things that we are saying are, are, are actually factually correct. You know, and that, that's where I think it, that's where is society in general, like you said, it's a dark ages. It, it is a dark ages. And the dark ages were not a pleasant time. Like, do we want to go back to a point where we don't understand that, you know, that's why I brought up the Third Reich, because it's a perfect example that Hitler used certain strategies to get large quantities of people to agree to do horrible things? Do we want to not have that information? And, and more importantly, do we not want to present it accurately? Because now we just call everybody who disagrees with us a fascist, obviously. You know, but that, that's an example of what I'm getting at. And I, it's so vital that people like you sounded the alarm. I mean, this article that I've left up here because I want my, my, my viewers to read it. You did this in 2019, but you said it had been going on for over 20 years. And, you know, it's only now kind of getting into public consciousness. We've kind of been just allowing scientists to do this. And it gets worse when, um, as I pointed out when I just did my show with Peter Bogosian was, then these people get tenure and then they start writing our textbooks. And then our textbooks have all of this, you know, this politics and activism in them presented as if it was truth. Like that is absolutely terrifying. Go ahead. It's too late. It's it's here. I, mean, I don't think there's any saving sociology. I think it's gone. Uh, there, the uh, half the presidents of association have never even heard of. They have very mediocre records. Uh, they're, they're getting, you know, there's, there's an insider group uh, nominating these people and putting them up uh, and uh, it's, it's over. Uh, so many of my colleagues don't really realize that. It's time for them to realize it's over. It's time uh, to do your sociology and find a way to uh, get your sociology out to the world. Don't expect your fellow sociologists to help you along because most of them uh, hate your guts uh, because you won't you won't buy into their simplistic view of the world, and um, that's but that's that's the way it is. And I think you're right. Uh, the the knowledge we're producing now uh, is not really good knowledge. It's not it's not very rigorous. Sociology, if anything, we used to be pretty rigorous in this research, and there's still people doing really good research, but uh, they're not the ones that are being listened to. Uh, anymore, uh, and uh, that, that's just a, that's just reality. Uh, and uh, so the only solace I take in all this is that uh, while the kind of thing that I do in, in American sociology is not something that people particularly like. Uh, first of all, because it's hard, and right. uh, and and, and, it, and it actually takes some some real work. Uh, not just facile work of just uttering a bunch of uh, utopian cliches. Um, but around the world, I, what I find, you know, just looking, listening to my email and people who write me about things, and uh, all these services now tell you who's reading your stuff. Uh, I think a good, I think a majority of sociologists in the world don't feel the way Amer most Americans do. Europeans have sort of started to go the American route, but the rest of the world has not. 
because uh, sociology is too important to them because it's actual knowledge about the social world that they might be able to use to reconstruct a better world for themselves. And most people uh, who are sociologists don't live in a very uh, good world. They live in a, a poor world or, and, they, and they don't have many, much access to resources. And so, uh, so there's that, there's, there's that. Uh, so I, 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 I think it's certainly Western sociology is, is corrupted in a terrible way. And I don't know if it'll, it'll ever come back uh, as sociology. It may have to come back under some, some other name. But actually kind uh, of as a good segue to this uh, super chat from one of my regular viewers, Lucifer the Doberman says, what will be needed to create an enlightenment in sociology? Is there anything we could do? I mean, I, yeah, I guess maybe just keep our records, you know, and keep the information to make sure it doesn't get destroyed so that those sociological archaeologists we were talking about can discover it. But so you feel that it's over. Do you feel that there, what, what would we have to do to, to bring it back to life? I don't, I don't think we can bring it back as the way it's currently constructed because there's the, the, the way all the, the scientists are dropping out, clearly they're dropping out. Uh, and so they're not there to vote for for memberships and for uh, you know setting you know be, being on the council that discerns decides about all kinds of policies for ASA so it, it's it's gotten completely away from the scientists uh, and uh, so the, the the administrative apparatus is controlled by the activists uh, and then that, that wasn't necessarily a bad case. There are many really good activists who are presidents of ASA and who were, who were serious sociologists who were activists. And, and they, could, they could do both. They could, they could do decent science and they could actually do activism. I found, for my purposes of teaching, that's the main reason I stopped it, bringing any of the activism I was involved in, because I wanted to, I wanted to reach every student not just the students who have my biases. I wanted to reach the students who don't have my biases because I, felt, I always felt they can learn something from sociology, uh, but not sociology dressed up as an ideology, but sociology dressed up as a science which has knowledge that's useful. And that's no longer the case. It's, it's still being produced. It's just hard to find. Uh, it's not going to be sitting in ASR and elite journals anymore. They, they've been taken over. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of journals, so it's not hard to get your work published. And, and fortunately, uh, the internet has made almost every journal eventually uh, accessible by, by everyone else in the world. And my mail tells me that there are people who are reading the kinds of things that I write. Uh, they're just not, uh, not European. It's, it's Eastern Europeans do, but, uh, but the Western Europeans and, and, and Americans, they don't read that, this kind of stuff. Or, or stuff by people like I am who are of that older generation that's on the way out, but we're still here, we're alive, we're still working, uh, but uh, we haven't got forever. And, and so it, I don't know there's anything we can do now. If, 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 if we can find a, a university whose administrators had some courage, we, there, there could be things, but they're part of the problem. The deans and the, and the provosts and the chancellors are all scared to death that they'll be called racist or that they'll lose their NSF, NSF funding or something. So they just kowtow to uh, this kind of political correctness uh, and, and do the university real harm. They don't have the courage because they don't want to have to fight the battle that you have to fight 
uh, now. It's a battle now. Uh, it's not just a matter of ignoring people and just doing your work. It's you have to actually fight them uh, because they're playing pretty dirty politics, uh, sort of the politics of the university. Uh, and you've got to fight back if you're going to survive. Uh, and in 73, I said, it's not worth fighting these people anymore. I, I got some things I want to write before I die. And uh, maybe I've got a decade or so of that. And, uh, and I'm getting close to into that decade now. So that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't want to fight this battle anymore. The only thing I'm doing is it forced me to start, uh, it's not available yet, but it's, it's about to come on as my blog. Uh, right. And, it, and, and, it's, and, and I, I, I call myself a social physician, a social phys physicist. And, uh, and it's about, and it's a, the blog is probably going to have the title Social Physics. And I'm going to push and push and push that way because that, that gets around. That will get around the world eventually once people learn about it. Uh, when you finally fun. do get that done, let me know and I'll make sure that all my viewers know yeah. about it and I, we start I, yeah, spreading it's, awareness. It's, I've got the, the original parts to it, uh, but I'm relying upon at 80 years old. I'm not real computer illiterate. It's me, this, this computer is still just a cool typewriter and uh, allows me to do a lot of corrections easily and stuff. But uh, I have never figured out how to do stuff. So my granddaughter and her engineering father of uh, organized, got it pretty much all together. It's going to come up eventually in the next month or two. Uh, and it'll have a lot of content. Then once I have it there, I can start adding content. And, uh, so... And, um, if you don't mind, I wanted to ask you, this is more of a personal question, not about my life personally, but it has to do with something I've always wanted to talk to a sociologist about, but it was, um, in this case, a social physicist will have to do. <laughs> um, so I watched the... Right, exactly. Um, I watched the documentary by Adam Curtis that was called The Century of the Self, and he was explaining the work of Edward Bernays, who apparently was asked by elite people, how do we socially engineer society to become a consumer society? Um, have you ever watched that documentary or are you familiar with what I'm talking I'm not, about? Not, I'm not familiar with it, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, well I guess then that part of it will be kind of um, brief. Well, it was just well, the well, idea well, was is that, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I, I think uh, the, a book that I wrote in uh, 20, published in 2021, and, 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 I, and I, I, I would sort of, uh, uh, I'll give you the title, then I'll say why I think it's relevant to this kind of issue. It's called Human Nature, the Biology and Sociology of What Made Us Human. So one of the things I've been very interested in now for the last 30 years, actually, even though I'm a theorist, I have all kinds of little specialty areas that I work in and I enjoy. One of the ones I enjoy uh, is uh, bringing biology back into sociology. Uh, you think that's keeping the, the activists at bay is, is a project, trying to get sociologists who have all these prejudices against biology, first of all, because it's a real science and, and uh, they don't, they don't, they don't, that's kind of hard. And, uh, but uh, more importantly, there's a lot of historical reasons why for all abuses of biological ideas of the past, eugenics and stuff like that, uh, that, that uh, they're suspicious of it. But, but it's important because uh, 
one of the things that's always going to be difficult for humans, uh, and, and this book has, because my wife's a primatologist, uh, and we've written a whole bunch of books together on uh, going back and looking at, uh, you got to remember, we, we share 99 plus of our genes with chimpanzees, and 98 plus with gorillas, and about 97 plus with orangutans. In other words, they are genetically very close to us. Right. And so they're, they're our best idea of what humans were before they uh, brains grew and got culture and that we began to create larger social structures. If we want to know what we were like as a biological species, that's the data on the behaviors and organization of the great apes are the best proxy to that knowledge. We could actually literally like the Hebel or Webb telescope look back five million years in human history and see what we were like. They're sitting right there in a common chimpanzee. And, uh, and so if you know what, how they operate and how they organize, uh, it, it's, it, 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 it makes it difficult to change uh, things. Uh, one, uh, in, uh, great apes are very individualistic. Uh, they don't have any permanent structures except for a broader sense of community. So the only hardwired in our genome sense of social structure is this larger community or home range that all great apes have. It could be 20, 30 square miles. But none of the great apes uh, creates permanent groups. They have temporary groups, uh, but the, a, lot, a lot of time, great apes are just walking around their territory, hooking up and having a conversation, walking on. Uh, and, and so we're, that, that's what we are underlying biologically, and you expose that. Uh, and we, 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 all our social structures are created. There, there's no biological basis for them. The nuclear that, family is not, does not exist in great apes. And uh, that makes a lot of sense, um, in addition to the fact that I, I remember making these same, had these same conversations with Jacques Fresco, it was just that it seems like one of humanity's biggest problems is that we are arrogant enough to believe that these sorts of natural forces that that exist in na nature, whether it's herd politics, alpha male politics, or whatever, that we are still completely susceptible to all of that. And we as humans can become cognitive of those things to try to curb their impact on us, but that all of those kinds of instincts still exist within our psyche. And if we ignore them, we do so at our peril. You know, like we tend to believe that we're too good for herd politics or whatever. But I remember, for example, just like peer pressure itself seems to be a situation of, well, if I were living in a hunter-gatherer society, um, if I ended up ostracized by the group, it's not just a matter of I wouldn't have any friends. I could very easily end up dead. So that you, that you would, would create. Up. You would. I'm sorry. You go would ahead. Up. You would end up dead. You would end up. You would end up dead. And so uh, then and that, that means that if you can control somebody's fear of being rejected by the social group, you can exert enormous amounts of control over them. And we tend to think, well, that doesn't apply to us. I'm like, no, it absolutely does. That's. I mean, you watch it play out in total viciousness. For example, like you know, my my son is going through high school right now. And it's an interesting phenomenon to observe in the school system because it's like somebody is passing this on to them in some way. But 
kids can be so vicious with each other and it's and they it can exert enormous amounts of control over what clothing you wear what music you listen to like um and that's why again it comes back to why sociology is so goddamn important is that we need to understand that these social forces exist and that they can control us and that you know that they could also be used for good you could do things to try to help society have a more healthy way of interacting with each other you know but that's well that's but yeah that's, go ahead at the point we don't have any genetic basis for social structures except for community uh there there's social constructions we've created them because we had to create them to survive uh and the good news about that is that uh, you can change those structures. They're not, they're not, we're not finding any hardwired propensity. You try to make a, a monkey leave its natal community, uh, a female monkey leave the natal community, you can never get that. And they're, they're very group-oriented. Apes, apes, great apes, are, are, have these very loose structures because uh, we actually lost out of the competition for monkeys in this forest. So the monkeys had all the verdant, Areas where there was where there's structural support, and food the, at, the, at the core of the trees in the, the African forest. Great apes who were smarter and more intelligent and bigger, but they they couldn't compete with monkeys because monkeys could eat unripe fruit and great, great apes couldn't. And so they were pushed to the terminal feeding areas of, of the forest, you know, way high up in the trees, high wire act up there. One false step and you're dead by gravity. Right, and uh, you cannot have a lot of, of great apes hanging out up in the high of the trees. They're big animals; they weigh a hundred pounds, and uh, you you have to have very low density. So you have to have a mechanism, uh, a hardwired mechanism, making transfer out away from your your natal community every generation, and so there's no continuity across generations. All female great apes and two of the three male uh, species of great apes, gorillas and orangutans. The males all leave their uh, natal uh, group at, at, at puberty, never to see them again. They right. move out to, to another community, and they keep doing that because you can't have high densities that way up high in the forest. There's no food, there's no structural support, and the chances of falling down when you're crowded up there are very high. So that gives but 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 the, the fact that we don't have like almost every other mammal bioprogrammers programmers for herding or schooling or forming packs and other kinds of group structures which most most mammals have hardwired bioprogrammers for that humans don't except for this general sense of community that's why people always have attachments to their hometowns and stuff because there's there is something biological there the rest of it we're creating and that's the most important thing we have to know that, that we, we we can recreate what's bad that we it, it, activism can work if you if you know exactly how to go about creating changing a, a situation and a structure but if, 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 if but if ideology is guiding you you can't accept facts that, that go against your ideology so once your audience once you're committed to an ideology you're committed to being ignorant about maybe solutions that can help help solve the problem that you're, you're concerned about. And somehow sociologists have lost this. They found, think that if they're politically correct and have the right ideology, they can, they can impose it on everybody. But quite frankly, most of their ideologies and the kinds of structures that they try to create are not, not viable. We're, we're still individualistic human beings. We're very individualistic species. Probably and it's interesting, 
But in so doing what they're doing, ironically, the the fascist boogeyman that they're so scared of is exactly what they will become because That's they, they have become and they're and they're scary because uh, the people who could, who could who, who should be managing them, the deans, and the provosts and the presidents, of the universities aren't doing it. And uh, they're a cowardly bunch. Uh, and I have very little respect for most of them because they just uh, cower. Uh, and tolerate things that they shouldn't tolerate. Uh, so the point is uh, that the beauty of humans, what's made us, uh, you know, uh, the planet of the apes, couldn't have planet of the monkeys, the monkeys are too group oriented. Only apes could have uh, 8 billion people and organize, be able to organize uh, at least two, two subpopulations into a billion plus societies. Uh, they could do that because we're pretty flexible. And what's happening in this, and the, when you get a social movement that's got a, ideologically strong, you become inflexible. You become the agnostic. You can't vi uh, go away from the flex. It's as if you had genes. You like you like having genes. Right. It, it'd be worth to have genes that way, because but but we we've always been flexible. We've been able to recreate social structures and culture, so we can uh, be more fit in our environment. Uh, and uh, I think right now what's happened in sociology is it's become so uh, narrow and dogma dogmatic and it's, it's, it's a spiritual crusade uh, that uh, the intolerance of anyone who does not involve, is not involved in that okay, uh, uh, crusade uh, damages uh, the people, the very people who are the, are the better sociologists. And, so uh, they're leaving. They're, they're they're dropping out of ASA. They're finding other jobs. The mid-career people are are, are 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 desperate to find a place where they can do their work and be left alone. Unfortunately, that not. means that what would be the inmates will inevitably be running the asylum. Um, I wanted to ask well, they are, one more well, they thing. They already are. You see, they already are in sociology. I mean, right. That's what I'm saying. There were signs that this was going to happen 20 years ago. It was starting to happen, but it just happened so fast. And then uh, by the time you really realize how, how, how entrenched uh, this ideology has become and how the demography of the field has come so that many of the people who are in sociology were, were members of those categories who had been discriminated against. You can understand why they were interested in this sociologically. But they become dogmatic, and 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 uh, and want sociologists only to think about what they think about, as opposed to recognizing they're part of a much larger field that has a long history with a great deal of knowledge accumulated over time. They refuse to read that knowledge. That's the tragedy. They refuse so, to read it. No, and the end, because it doesn't fit. It, it's just, because it's blasphemy. That that's, that's the work that's, of heretics. That's my point. And, and, yeah. And so. <laughs> And you you can you can break things down. You can change people because that, those are there's no biology behind that dogmatism. That's just a straight dogmatism that you know humans can do once they get committed to an ideology. Let me let me just read you because it's it's it, it, it is a wonderful book to read. It's the best book I I've read. Uh, it's Christian Smith's uh, uh, I forget something like sociology spiritual journey. Uh, and he, 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 he says there's two sociologies, and I'm going to read you his description uh, from a little table he has. And here it is. This is called American Sociology as a Justice and Emancipation Project. That's what currently American sociology is all about. Uh, 
The value-laden, exposing, protesting, ending through social movement, on governmental programs, all inequality, oppression, exploitation, suffering, injustice, poverty, discrimination, exclusion, hierarchy, constraint, and domination by or over uh, other humans, and perhaps even animals. Therefore, American sociology is a collective enterprise committed to visually realizing the emancipation, equality, and moral formation of all human beings as autonomous, self-directing agents who should be uh, uh, out to live their lives as they personally desire by constructing their own favorite identities, entering their existing relationships and choose the inequality, enjoy the gratification of experiential, marital, and bodily pleasures. Bah, that's it. Well, actually, once you have the ideologues running things, uh, they're, not, they're not very tolerant. You may not be able to have uh, the fun things there that he mentioned at the end. Then he has the, the other, other juxtaposition is sociology as a science project, and he actually quotes me, because I'm sort of pushing this for a long time. The value-neutral search and analysis of fundamental generic properties of the social universe is the goal of developing and testing theories that of their, of their operative dynamics and using this knowledge thereby attained and applied uh, applications to real-world conditions. Therefore, American sociology is a collective professional uh, enterprise culminating in knowledge uh, for its own sake as well as for its applications to the organizational problems actors face in the social universe. Now, the, the my portrayal is, is an open one, uh, and, and uh, it's the one that should drive sociology. It's the one that so, so students should be interested in. The other project, I share the, uh, the emotions attached to any inequalities that are listed. Uh, you know, I risked my life as a young man to, 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 to see that people would have the right to vote. And I got myself thrown in jail in quite a few places. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi was one of my memorable events. And uh, it was all coordinated by uh, civil rights committees. So there was no real danger. Right. It was because people were pretty violent, especially when they have a white person uh, uh, marching with black people uh, and yelling back at the, at the, at the, at the hecklers. Uh, I was lucky I got out of my life. But uh, at any rate. You're young, you do stupid things sometimes, but this is the thing that I believe morally I should do. But that had nothing to do with me as a sociologist. It had much, that was me as a human being, caring about other people. Uh, the sociology was never part of that. Uh, I, I, I wrote on it uh, over the years, but it's not been my main area. But I've written several books on I wrote a history of black-white relations. I wrote the, the, the big textbook on America's ethnicity. And maybe a you know, several dozen articles, but that's just a very small part of what I've written. And um, so uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't my academic thing. And even though I taught the big so, so, uh, ethics study, eth American ethnicity uh, course for many years, um, I was never involved with a group of people who were doing that because they, they were they were going they were clearly going off this deep into the of, of, the, of the project to, to the emancipation justice project. And so, but it's too late. Uh, and, and that's that's the sad part of the story. Uh, it, it, I think sociology has to now be reinvented. I don't know if we could ever convince a dean or a provost or a president, uh, given that they're such cowards, to create a, a, a social physics department or a scientific sociology department and really meet it when they create a department like that. 
And put it alongside the other department. That's fine. It'll 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 compete just fine. It'll outcompete it, the emancipation department easily because students want to know something, right? And, and they, they have the right to know something when they go to college. They're paying for it. They should get, learn some knowledge they'll find useful in their careers and their lives. And uh, but it's 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 not going to happen in the current structure. And uh, and so sociology will limp along. Uh, it'll become worse and worse. There's nothing to stop it now because the graduate programs are all infested uh, with this disease. Uh, the, the administrators, the deans overseeing these programs are all infected with this disease out of their own cowardice. Uh, and the result is uh, that now uh, a student who wants to do bio-neutral sociology and enters the department, that student is going to be in a minority and it will be discriminated against. Uh, I guarantee you, and the fights that my students had to have at the end, it was unbelievable. Really talented students who have done nothing but uh, make 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 me proud and make the university proud. Uh, compared to all the ones who were persecuting, who never we've never heard of again. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that that they were the last generation probably to 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 be able to stand up to it. Uh, the, the 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 pollution of the intellectual world of sociology is so great now. It's, it's, it's inconceivable that it could reverse itself. It just has so, to be recreated uh, by a different name. And uh, we have to find a few courageous people in academia who are willing to put the money down to create a new department of, of, of social physics or whatever you want to call it. Which well, is I do have, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I hope that that happens. And that's why I want to get you hopefully talking to some people with bigger um, platforms than I have. Like, you know, Jordan Peterson would find everything you just said very fascinating. Unfortunately, I don't have the ability to get a hold of him. Um, I did reach out to Peter Bergosin about you, and I think Brett Weinstein would also be highly interested in what you're talking about. So if you guys are listening to this and any of you have the possibility of getting a hold of these people, like beyond even just what I can, you know, please make sure that you share this man's work. There was one more sociological thing I wanted to discuss with you. Um, and there was apparently a study that was actually asked for by the military. And this was actually reported about um, in mainstream media. So it's going to sound a little crazy, but it was on ABC News. It was in The Guardian and et cetera. But the, the study basically came to the conclusion that if you can convince 25% of the population of a given society of something, that it will tend to create like a sociological chain reaction that will lead to a wider acceptance of that um that concept and so in response to that the military uh asked a software company to help them develop a uh software that would create masses of fake identities like fake accounts on the internet to try to sway public opinion and the mainstream media caught them on this and it came up again in the news recently. Um, and of course they said, well, we never use these sorts of things, you know, in our own country, we only use them in third world countries or whatever, or like you know, places like the middle East. And I'm kind of like, yeah, sure. I'm sure nobody ever uses technology like this, but in regards to the issue of the, the 25%, and I don't know, obviously I'm not going to ask you to um, comment on a study that you haven't yourself read, but, does the concept of convincing 25% of a population leading to that chain reaction effect of wider acceptance, the, you know, what would your take on that be 
And do you feel that that is in concurrence with other things that you've learned throughout the years as a sociologist? Well, I think that, well, I think the, for example, uh, President Trump never really had more than about 20, 20% of the vote, 25%, but uh, that, the, that that bigger block allowed for a much bigger vote. Uh, it never was majority vote, but he what did with the presidency, um, once at least. Uh, yeah, I think that as long if you have fellow travelers, it's a lot easier, and, and that's what's happening. You see, you got you got the reverse of that, is as the scientific sociologists bail from from sociology departments or or just quit or find other places to be or go work in the private sector or whatever. Uh, you, you you increase the, that that what used to be probably twenty percent of uh, of the sociologists were hardcore activists uh, committed to a kind of uh, change the world attitude. Uh, but when when they when, when they can begin to disrupt the lives who of those the scientists who are working hard and not being activists but just doing science and just doing you know keeping their nose to the ground though. Uh, as they start leaving, then the more activists come in, uh, and, and, and the demography of sociology has changed dramatically. I mean, women out, outnumber men now. Uh, there's a very heavily uh, heavy uh, minority uh, uh, constituency, and of course, a whole constituency around gender sex issues. Uh, and they're committed uh, ideologically. Uh, to something, and, and I can even I'm sympathy with with their commitments because all they're trying to do is, uh, you know, one way is, is get more equality, but what they're, what they're doing is creating a new inequality, uh, and, and and they're creating an, as you pointed out an intolerance that uh, will accelerate this process. That it's not like it's not twenty percent anymore. Especially since uh, half the people in the American Sociological Association have left, and right. so who's left? Them, and so they're going to win every election for any office or whatever, and, and so uh, that's what's happened. So that's that's why I see that situation is uh, not viable. The, 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 the sociology can limp along as an activist department, my God, we've got ethnic studies and gender studies. These are all ideologically driven departments there. And that's always the problem. When you take the ideology of a social movement, bring it in and try to make an academic prop, uh, uh, make it an academic discipline, it doesn't become an academic discipline. It's the activists in that change, convert it to a, an activist discipline. And that's what's happened to sociology. So now and, I can get a PhD so, in my opinion. <laughs> well, well, you don't need a PhD to be an activist. Well, first of all, most of these students getting PhDs today, I think, don't think, know what even master's degree students do at one time. They're so they're, they're just getting a little small snippet of ed education, all biased by the prejudices of the mentors. And, and from their point of view, we're doing what we have to do to get our PhD. Uh, but when you get out there to have a job uh, and you haven't learned anything, it's going to be hard. The only thing you can teach is what the, 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 the bigotry you've learned. And uh, you're not likely to be reading any new stuff because you haven't been reading new stuff very much. You've just been reading uh, within the narrow field that you or you're now committed to. And now you're committed to it for the rest of your life. Now, I, I would think if all of those people, I'd die of boredom because they don't know very much. 
They only know a little bit about uh, ethnicity. Uh, they refuse to read anything that con conflicts with their uh, ideological points of view. Uh, and thus, uh, they're trapped. They've trapped themselves intellectually. Uh, and they're going uh, to bore students to death, that's for sure. Students don't like these courses, like these activist courses. They're not, some do, but the majority don't. They, 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 their parents are they are paying good money for education. I, would, I, would, I don't want to be uh, preached at. Uh, if I want to be preached at, I'll go to church. <laughs> well, that's it's kind of like the the power of the vocal loud minority that shouts loud enough to create the illusion of being far more people than it actually is. And then the problem is is that because of the fact that they're so good at that, we let them bend us to their will. You know, like, when, for example, one of the things that this whole Twitter situation has finally proven was that they were elevating a certain ideological view to be the forefront, to make it look as though way more people agreed with it than actually did. And then the effect of that, that comes back to that 25% I was talking about, which I think also leads to back to what we were talking about earlier when we were discussing herd politics. like. Like as if there's a decision that is made, like when you're in a school of fish where you give up a little bit of your individuality because for whatever reason, the school of fish has all decided to go this way. So you better go with them, you know, and we're not fish, but like that, that's a reflection of so many other uh, phenomenon well, when it comes to groups. If you're, if you're in the situation, or even I, who who been the sort of the mainstay with my finger in the dike of this potentially uh, calamitous uh thing um just got tired of it uh, uh and uh, it wasn't worth my effort anymore especially when i couldn't get the people who agree with me to fight for themselves and so they, they wouldn't fight and they lost you know they right. lost an apartment they lost their graduate students they lost a lot uh and uh you know i feel very badly about that but uh it was up to them uh, at some point, uh, they'd be relying upon uh, me and my ability to work informal networks to make sure that people didn't go overboard and, and, and everyone else knew that. Uh, that I, I, ha I had that kind of power, informal power. Uh, but uh, it, 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 I think everyone eventually gives up. It's not that they, they just don't want to fight the fight anymore. It just gets in the way of your, of your peace of mind in your life. and. You can't do your work because you're always having to deal with these kinds of uh, confrontational issues. And, and you know, the, the people who are on crusades want to want to want to stab you. <laughs> and well, so, and eventually it gets to the point where they're not content to just disagree with you publicly. They want to get you fired from your job. They want to get you. Oh yeah, you so know, they, they, they're doing incredibly. Uh, what they're trying to do what they did in my department was they started. Uh, having graduate students go complain to deans about particular faculty. Um, and every time that happened, you, you, did, you really couldn't get the graduate student to re redo it, but you'd get them to go there initially and, and create a bad impression. Right. And, 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 and when, you're, when you're subject to that kind of harassment, uh, that's first of all chargeable in the University of California system. If someone had done that to me, I, I, they would be in charge. I would have my lawyer on them. They'd be charged. They'd be sent to charges committee. I'd be chair of both these committees, charges committee. And I'd say, yes, there's reason here for a charge. And I thought I would suggest the charge be uh, loss of tenure for the people who were doing this. And, uh, and I, I've been chair 
which is tenure too, uh, which is the committee would actually try the, the person. Uh, and I know you can win those battles uh, because people in those committees uh, tend to be sensible people because they're hard, they're hard work committees. Uh, activists don't want to be in committees like that because they, they actually involve a lot of work. And you got a lot of time, you got to spend a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, but no one did it. You know, out of just trying to be collegial uh, or just not wanting to fight the battle. Uh, and if I, if, I, if I have a, one thing of I regret, I, I should have charged people well, 20 years ago uh, with some of the things they did. I would have, I could have gotten them. Um, uh, certainly, I could, I, I could have made sure they got lost their tenure. So, because uh, I, I had the witnesses, I had, I had everything, and I said, you know, the peace department, I just this, uh, the person's backed off. Maybe just leave it alone, and that was probably a mistake. But well, I think that they're all hoping that eventually sanity will prevail. And what concerns well, me, you're, that's you're actually... being may, way more optimistic. That, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, like I it seems to me, is, is, is incredibly insane, right? Uh, and, and, that... uh, it seems to me, and this would be kind of a good place for us to 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 finish. Would be, it seems to me like there has to be a critical mass, like a like a Hindenburg incident, to lead us to what you know to realize. Okay, wait a minute, this has gone too far. What I'm concerned about is is that when you're talking about like if we just let this get so out of control that something horrific happens which is unfortunately frequently what has to happen in order for people to be shaken out of their stupor so to speak when you do that in something like sociology and then in psychology where we we need to just let it go so far out of control that it finally falls flat on its face i just hope to god that it's not another major genocide event or, you know, another Third Reich style thing that rises out of this to finally shake people enough to make, get them to realize, okay, maybe allowing people to say that science goes along with what their feelings say, even if none of the data actually supports that, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. It's like, it's like a plane crash, for example, is often what it takes for an engineering mistake to be seen, you know? Um, and in this instance, we're talking about a sociology mistake, you know, and then possibly psychology mistakes and what kind of damage is going to have to be done before we rise back out of this dark ages. Like does Rome have to burn, you know? And I really hope that's not the case. I know Fresco used to say that he didn't like this, but unfortunately in many cases, major catastrophes or collapses are what is necessary to finally motivate people to to get out of their own zones. Because it sounds to me like what you're describing is a, an unfortunately natural reaction that they're thinking to themselves, well, I really don't agree with what's going on here, but I have a family to take care of. I have bills to pay, you know, and I don't want to put any of that in jeopardy. Hopefully this problem will just fix itself. It'll work itself out. But enough people eventually do that, that it's, it comes down to that same, like a uh, horrible, I mean, like, you know, accurate quote, like, you know, they came first, they came for this group and I wasn't part of that group. So I didn't say anything. Then they came for this group and I didn't say anything. And then when it finally came from, you know, them coming for me, there was nobody left to speak up. It, it that's what 
I think is the most chilling thing that could come out of this is like what is going to be that Hindenburg disaster for the social sciences and unfortunately how many people are going to get hurt I think a disaster is somewhere down the road I don't know I, I think this is I don't think the situation as it currently is is going to be solved in the near future uh, something more damaging has to occur at the university or the finances of the university or uh, other other things have to get people who have the power to, to make a difference in, in the, the administration of the university that's the senior administrators to have some courage and maybe some more talents to do something but right now they are not willing to do anything uh, and they're equal. They're even more likely to believe the, what are essentially lies that are told to them. Uh, and the, the other side of the faculty that's becoming smaller and smaller uh, is it's going to be uh, just unable to unable to do anything. They just want to get away uh, from it all. And uh, I, I don't see this situation working out. I think psych psychology is better protected because of this over-specialization issue. They've got right. those, and it's, a, it's, a exper it's oriented to, to doing experiments and stuff. You could have the same problems we have, but not as much as sociologists do. Uh, and well, it's definitely much harder to do a sociological experiment. Like, you'd, you'd have to get hundreds of yeah, people yeah, together. Well, well, yeah, well, first of all, it's probably immoral that would pass a, a, a subjects committee but uh, so you're pretty much uh, just like limited to observing historical events and then getting your data accordingly you know so that's definitely difficult i mean i know for example the um the ash conformity experiment um proved that the more people you got involved in the experiment the more powerful the effect was of a group of yeah. people believing something that is not true on the individual. I, I assume you know what I'm talking about with that one, right? Yeah, and so that's what's happening right now is that uh, these lies, are, little lies, literally lies are told. I'm right. surprised students agree to that because they could be, they could, they could be charged and, and, and terminated for doing lies like that. But uh, they're, they're, they're so emboldened now uh that they 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 play dirty because they got moral truth on their side so they could be immoral uh and that doesn't even occur but most most of the severe actors i know are some of the most immoral people i know because they are they are they don't have any morality except whatever they believe and well it, it's and whatever that, it takes it's that, the that, ends justify the means any act in the name of that morality uh, and and that, that includes lying and cheating and destroying, trying to destroy people's lives, just so you can th think that you're an important person on campus. Uh, most of these activists are mediocre scholars, uh, very low rates of production productivity compared to the rest of the faculty. Uh, so they they've always felt the outside uh, for good reason. They weren't doing the, the at a research university that what they need to be doing. They're doing it at a sort of minimal level. They got tenure, but uh, they never, you know, their citations are not much. And, you know, they, they just, uh, and so this is their, this is their, their revenge. Uh, and I don't think there's any, there's no, I don't think there's any hope. Uh, I, the only hope I, I have is that 
there'd be resources to begin to create new kinds of sociology departments where we do, don't allow activists. You have to be committed to science uh, and, um, and you have to have voting practices and recruitment practices and let a science department recruit hard scientists and, and, and forget the ideology part. And if you do that, you'll see how good these departments could be, how much they're bringing tons of grant money into the, into the university. The, the faculty would be incredibly great, grateful because there'll be no place for them to go if you're the first university doing this. If I, if I had a billion dollars, I'd say I want to have a, a hard science department of sociology at several of the UC campuses that I'm going to fund it. Right. Uh, and uh, if I had the money, I'd do that. Because I'd like to show what they, what a department of really good sociologists, all committed to uh, doing scientific sociology, could do, in terms of all the kinds of issues that uh, concern anyone uh, about uh, sociology. It could be a, a pure science, but they, I've always argued you've got to have an engineering wing uh, and a pure science. You've got to have people who know how to translate those general principles into. Uh, programs that can help people. And um, sociology can have that potential again. Uh, I think we just were too lax there for a while. Uh, and, and the result has been we, we, we created a monster uh, and the monster is not going away. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as a proportion of all sociologists. Sociology departments are probably going to get smaller and smaller because students will stop taking the courses at some point. But when you, if you've got a, a real hard science department in, in competing against a, a activist department, I'll guarantee you the, the hard science department will win the battle of the students. And that's and why the they're going to try to call it racist. <laughs> like they're going after STEM too. Like the STEM fields are too racist. And, you know, oh my goodness. Well, that's why uh, they can, they can, you know, they can tar and feather us as much as they want. Uh, and, and there's only one other. Uh, sociologist in my department that has had as much experience with protests and stuff. He's a nice Marxist. He tends to support some, some aspects of the group, but he realizes what a bunch of crazies they are by the own department. Just nuts right. cases. Uh, but uh, we don't agree a lot, but we're friends because we're both hard scientists uh, and uh, we, we believe in using science for a purpose. Uh, and so we get along quite well. Uh, and it's also a sailor, which helps a lot because I'm, I'm an avid sailor. Uh, right. But the, yeah, yeah, well, that's just my main passion in life. You know, it's about all I left I could do. The athletic part of me is long gone. <laughs> my body's all right. But, but I can still sail a sailboat. But so, so <laughs> that was bigger one as I once did. But so I imagine you go out there with your friend and you have philosophical discussions on the state of sociology oh, yeah. and science out in your boat. I used yeah, to do that with a canoe. Not. I would take friends out on my canoe and no, we would no, just have you, philosophical You have a sailboat and a can of beer between your legs and uh, you're just sailing along with the wind and just yakking. It's, it's just one of the most pleasurable things in the world to do. And, um, and it's, it, it's, uh, and so it's, uh, uh, I keep these two boats up in Santa Barbara, which is my favorite place to be in the world. And, uh, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, but the, 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 the problem with sociology is I, I'm, in, I'm in despair in many ways. Uh, and the only way I compensate for it is just to go do my hard science work and write it up, get as much of it as published as I can before I die, and hope that it, it'll last in cyberspace for uh, so, someone 
hundred years from now to find and think that, oh, there was this field. I always thought that was a crappy little field of nobodies. But there, those people <laughs> were doing something, you know, and, and, and that's what we need. And that's that's my that's my goal in life. These are these are these are my, all my not on my deathbed, but this is all I want to do right now, is get as much knowledge out of it as I can, and, and that's why I'm creating the blog. Maybe I can, uh, I can I become quite quite aggressive uh, on that in terms of what I say, and people will listen to it and and and, and maybe abide by it a little bit. But who knows? Uh, well, I don't think the, the sociology now as this practice is dead. It, it, it'll still be alive, but in uh, 30 years, it will not be much. Because I don't see anything happen. I, mean, I just see more of the same for the next two or three year, decades, unless something ma magical happens in the world that uh, change things. So, well, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I really want to thank you for taking this time. You know, on your weekend afternoon um, to discuss this with me. And it's unfortunate that it's so bleak, you know, um, but at least, you know, we recognize that there's a problem and that's the first step. <laughs> well, I, we, think, you know, I think, yeah, go ahead. I, yeah. I just, I, I, I've, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, fly off my boots on here and, uh, and do the best I can as one person in a, in, a, in, a, in a big world, uh, but the internet is is going to be going to be my tool. And uh, even though I'm crappy at it, I've, I've always I got nine grandchildren that are all good at it. So uh, make it all young adults can help me. Well, I'll make sure. That's the other thing is like you know stay in touch because you know I'll yeah. spread awareness of that and help share your work. And I want to try to get again. I want to try to get you on some of these shows that have much bigger. Um, audiences than mine, like Benjamin Boyce would probably love to talk to you too. Um, so I'll start making an effort to go down that route and maybe I'll talk to Paul Rossi. He was somebody who is an educator who sounded the alarm um, of like what was going on in his schools. And he's a math teacher and he was watching how activism is finding its way into math. Like <laughs> you can't even have mathematical conversations anymore. Um, you know, um, and so, but anyway, Thank you very much for coming on. I will probably talk to you briefly off the air after we are done here. I just wanted to go ahead and conclude this episode. Was there any any final words you wanted to give? No, oh, I've enjoyed watching all these little things flap flash up of people, uh, you know, <laughs> talking. It's, it's, I mean, I, no, it's for actually, sure. There's actually some people listening to this. That's nice. <laughs> 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 no, well, I've was. been kind of prepping them in it's general. Fun. I've been mentioning that you and I were going to have this conversation for a while, but I do a whole series on my channel called Do You Think for Yourself? And a large part yeah. of it is discussing things like Ash Conformity Experiment, the Milgram Experiment, um, the Bystander Effect. And those are all like hard scientific you know, psychology and sociology studies that can be replicated. That's what it looks like when it's real science, you know. Um, it'd, be and, it'd be hard to replicate a lot of those now. You couldn't, you couldn't, yeah, you would definitely get submitting. in trouble. But yeah, the, the yeah. big point is that just that it's important that to me, I mean, also to Jacques Fresco when he was talking about, because he wanted to create a society where things were more or less kind of governed by scientific principles. And I, because it was a left-leaning or, you know, movement that followed what he was doing, a lot of this same kind of activism showed up and it was a problem because 
if, if we're going to try to say that we're going to socially engineer a better society, we can't do that if we don't have real science. If, if we allow our emotions to become more important than the facts, then you can't you can't do that. You know, at that point, it's 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 like, you know, you're at the, it's like you're blind and you're trying to construct, you know, I, I don't know, a tower or something you can't see. If you've if you made yourself incapable of being able to perceive whether or not you're doing something right or wrong, and it all comes down to your emotional whims, we're going to have a very dangerous society for a time, and that's unfortunate. Uh, well, right, right. If 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 the so people who know about social organization are have simply basically shot themselves with the the foot and the head and the heart, um, and are un unable to give you any knowledge, uh, we have to find another way to get that knowledge and. Uh, uh, Sounds uh, like we're going to have to disguise it. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been, I've, I've been writing. I've written several, several articles on social engineering. I, I use the term deliberately to irritate people, just to get them to read it. Um, but uh, that's what sociology needs: is an engineering uh, just a wing, where we take our scientific knowledge and translate it into protocols that can deal with actual problems that are there in the world. That this, those problems are solvable. Maybe not to the degree that everyone would like in a perfect world, but they're, they're, they can be mitigated to significant degrees. But uh, you have to have people working on them who un actually have some theoretical understanding of the awkward dynamics of this world. And a lot right. of people don't. They just have a bunch of political views. Uh, they haven't spent time reading and reading and reading like I do. Uh, history and a lot of other things just to get a sense for how things have, uh, how how the world is played out, and see how what the underlying forces operate, causing the world to play out that way, develop propositions and models. All those can be used again now to rebuild society. So that's the beauties. We're not locked into our genes the way most other mammals are. We can create something. Uh, right now, we're creating a, a, a nightmare of, of political correctness. And and so we get rid of that and, and get uh, back on the track of sciences the more useful uh, social science will be for society. But I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. I'm, I'm depressed about it. Uh, but that's, I, that, I just can't, yeah, well, I, 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 I can't, I, I just have to remain depressed about it because I, I can't change it. I'm going to try well, I hope that someday, you know, down the road, somebody will stumble on this conversation in oh, your papers. Oh, I hope so, and, that's right. And here is an old know. man. Uh, holding his finger in the by dike, and he finally croaked out. The finger went out, and it all went to hell. And, and it, uh, uh, but I'm gonna be unburied, and it'd be nice. <laughs> Even <laughs> well, thanks again <laughs> so much, Dr. Turner, for coming on today. And um, I will make sure to keep people aware of your work, and I'll continue to follow what you're doing. Make sure that if you finally launch your blog, that you email it to me, and I'll be sure to share that with everybody here. Okay. I will provide yeah, a link. To the, and the John Jackson went to UCSB. So did I. Graduated oh. <laughs> in 1965. <laughs> right. Yep. He's one of my regulars here. Um, and they all enjoyed this. So, okay. um, but thanks again. And again, I like I'm gonna take us off live for a second and just have a few moments with you after you know off the air to, okay. to decompress. But okay. thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to V Radio. Um, you guys can check out my website, hy.page slash V Radio or you can find me on my other mediums. I strongly advise that you check me out on all of them, whether it's Odyssey, Rumble, BitChute. I also have podcast forms of all of this that you can listen to 
on Spotify and other podcast mediums. And I do all of this for redundancy because uh, one of the other problems I run into is that conversations like these are not very popular with certain people. And as we found out with the recent Twitter nonsense, those people have a tendency to put their finger on the scale to be sure that certain ideas get more exposure than others. If you really want to help me, the best way to do it is to make sure that you share these conversations and share knowledge of that my channel even exists so that I can get out and get these this information to the people who need it. Um, I do appreciate it when people um, financially support the show. Obviously, it's not required. I'm never going to charge anyone for V Radio. But if you would like to do that at, H- at hy.page slash V Radio, you can also uh, support me on Patreon, PayPal, Subscribestar, etc. If there's another way you'd rather send money, um, you can reach out to me on Discord. Speaking of that, you can join us on our social media accounts, which is really the only way to be sure you're going to get this because I already get notifications from people that they've been unsubscribed to my channel, you know, w- w- involuntarily or that they're not getting notifications when I go live. So if you go to my Discord channel, even if you have no intention of taking part in the conversation, um, you, I always do an, a slash at everyone to make people aware when I'm going live or when I have put out new content. The conversations there are also very good. Um, people of different ideological backgrounds engaging in conversation with one rule, which is no personal attack. And the kind of thing, you know, things that come out of that on the other side are usually very awesome to see. Um, I will be planning more content. I'm sorry that I was gone as long as I was, but I had to move very suddenly and then I got sick on top of it. In fact, I'm still sick. That's why I like burst into this horrible coughing spree when we got started because I was leaning back on my bed because I have to broadcast from my bed because of my spinal damage. And it just happened to be at the perfect angle for Flem to decide, yeah, you're not breathing right now. <laughs> so I hope you guys um, enjoyed this today. And um, thanks again, Dr. Turner. I'll talk to you again briefly here for a second. Did you want to say something else before we go? No, thank you uh, for listening. Uh, it's uh, it's been pleasant. Uh, I had nothing but uh, page proofs to read, so this was much more fun than that. So, uh, <laughs> now I have to go to those. And, uh, well, hopefully, uh, we'll we'll, um, we'll talk I again. Sometime. Watch football and things like that, but I'm always too busy now. So. All right. <laughs> Just go back thanks to again, um, everybody, for tuning in today. And um, again, you know, I will also link the article that I was showing at the earlier part of this in the description of this this video. If for some reason I forget, you know, um, please feel free to remind me in the comments. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to V Radio.